0: Good morning, <laughs> and God bless you. I am delighted to have this um, opportunity to speak to you, but I'd, I'm also fearful of uh, not so much standing for people and talking about Christ and this glorious Savior that we just sung about, but the fear that we might miss the power and the glory of his presence in our hearts and our lives. So, I would ask for your prayers that as we share together that um, we might indeed be able to delight in his presence and to see his handiwork, not only in our own personal lives, but in the lives that all that will hear the word of God and be responsive to it. Today, I think, is an exceptional day in the life of our church. In that the the scripture text reveals that we're going to to read together, reveals the loving response to the longing hearts of his people. Specifically, the longing to be what God has created us to be, what we've all strove to be, and what we've all missed our mark in trying to be. This scripture is for everyone who feels that, who's missed the mark of the intent of the good and a righteous life. And I think it points us to, um, to a Savior that corrects and redefines and reshapes and remolds life for us. May I adapt a, a, a statement that I found from Isaac Dennison, who, who said, um, said this. He does not create, God does not create a longing or a hope without having a fulfilling reality ready for us. God doesn't bring us together here in this act of worship. He doesn't allow us to be inspired by music. He doesn't allow that seed within our lives that says, I want more or long more, without already having prepared that. And this is, this is the joy of the passage that we're going to read and study. We will get to it. <laughs> that in, in that it is God that or, has orchestrated this whole thing and that he comes to this historic, divine moment to, to consummate all that, that he prophesied, all that we'd hoped for, all that we'd long for. I hope that that would also happen here for all of us as, um, as, we, as we anticipate Christmas, as we anticipate his saving grace. You know, the, the real question is not so much, is he ready? But the question is, are you ready? Uh, we talk about and we, we rehearse even in our prayer times, the things that burden us, the things that that escape, um, that that cause, distract us from the joy and the celebration of this moment. Uh, The hardships, the difficulties, the darkness in the world, the wars that we face can all distract us from the reality of God's love and His grace for us. Matthew, why why is the passage in Matthew um, 1, 18-25 so, so vitally important? I think Matthew, as we read it, will will reveal the convergence. The convergence of uh, God and humanity which leads to the salvation of all who will embrace God's redeeming act of love. Now that doesn't uh, sound new to those of you who are Christian, but, but uh, I, th- I think that it, you would agree that, that having God and man coming together in one human for, uh, form is hard to wrap your mind around. And yet that is what will be proclaimed today and what we will celebrate today and we will rehearse today in our own minds and our hearts. The past two weeks of Advent, uh, our Advent studies we consider the genealogy that affirms the, the links to Christ's origins, his kingships, his efficacy and uh, his ability to save. Even uh, those who are outside the camp, oh, even those as, we, as uh, um, uh, was rehearsed for us, uh, outside the moral and social boundaries, of uh, established society were invited to come in and to celebrate and to rejoice in the God of the salvation that we celebrate today. Acts 1, 18-25 is this convergence of God and human that we call the Incarnation. God dwelling with us, taking up residence with us And as as we believe that, as we affirm that, we must sense His dwelling with us in this moment, in this place, in our hearts. And it ought to excite us, it ought to thrill us to think that God would do business with us even today in the midst of this worship experience. God's purpose then is to reveal both what a healthy whole, sinless life can look like and provide a, uh, the sacrifice worthy of, us, of the, the uh, atoning of our sins. God accomplishes what we're not able to do. God accomplishes what we're not able to do. Let's hear the Word of God and not just talk about it. Found in Matthew, the first chapter, the 18th verse, the 20, uh, 18 through 25. Found on page uh, 757 in your pew Bible. Hear the word of God. This is how the birth of a Christ the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Before they came together, uh, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, because Joseph, her husband, was was faithful uh, to the law. And yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid uh, to take Mary home as your wife, because what was conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth, uh, give birth a son, and you are to give his name, uh, give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until he gave birth, she gave birth, to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Shall we pray? Holy Spirit, be our guide as we consider the truth your word has for us today. May our motives for knowing these truths from your word be pure and unadulterated, and in response to your willingness to unveil these glorious mysteries, may we be inspired to surrender our wills to yours, regardless of our, uh, um, regardless what it cost us to, um, to submit. We ask these blessings because we we know that your plan for our lives is not only providence, but it's the very essence of what it means to have a full and a meaningful life. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and passion to live what you teach us in this intimate moment of communion with you. For we are bound together by your Holy Spirit, and our hearts long to enjoy the embrace of your Holy Spirit and to be safely held in your arms. May it be so, for we ask it in the name of our precious Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. I want us to consider, and, and there, there are many ways we can look at the text this morning. We, we could spend our time focused upon the dream itself, um, upon um, of just telling the story verse by verse. But what I would like for us to do is to consider uh, it in perhaps a unique way. First, let's acknowledge that um, this is really about the divine origin, the beginnings of Christ, the human Christ, here on this earth. This transforming moment in human history where the Savior came to live, the Savior, God, came to live among us. And may we all affirm uh, affirm the the greatest uh, among them, among us, was the most humble in that he was willing to come and to humble himself to become a human being. I want us to find breathing space in our minds and our hearts and our souls as we study this and as we look at him and um, divine breathing space to, I, uh, to understand not just the technical details of, of this passage, but perhaps even even more so the human aspect of it, for God came in human form, and I, I want us to, to appreciate the questions that that arises um, a, among us. Um, the interesting thing, and what I want to do as we, we dissect the, the passage, is to look at the very purpose. Why would God come to earth? I mean, why would he bother? Why would he have to bother? Why not just create new human beings that would worship him, that would not fail, and and that would would, um, just um, be submissive, unlike us? Well, uh, we can speculate about that, but we do find an answer as to why he came to earth. It's in verse uh, it's a simple phrase out of verse 21, and it simply says, for he will save his people from their sins. Again, it's very hard to wrap our minds around this, but he's saying not just his people, the ones that, that, that sit here, some, most of you who sat here this morning, but he is saying uh, the outsider as well, is he not? As we read and remember the whole of the passages that we've read in Matthew thus far, he has, uh, who is his people? It is those he's created. And, and indeed he has created us all by his loving loving act. Here in Matthew, Matthew is clarifying further the meaning of the genealogy and, he's, uh, and every aspect of Jesus' origin from the beginning, uh, to his sovereign hand, uh, the sovereign hand of the Father in this story that superintends each aspect of the, um, the coming of Christ, this infant child, in, into the world. I want us, as God superintends our thoughts today, to attempt to move more deeply into our text and considering uh, considering it this way, the cast of characters that he has before us. And my hope is, is that uh, you will want to see them uh, not just as um, uh, technical uh, aspects of bringing Christ, the Emmanuel, God with us into the world, but I, I hope that you'll want to see them and personalize them as we look intimately and deeply into their lives, their roles, and in this new beginning. And I want to admit up front, I, I uh, will neglect um, uh, a couple of verses, um, that uh, certainly the prophetic verses that we've read early uh, we read and studied early, earlier, uh, I leave that to Tyler and your remembrance of, of what he's done there, and also uh, of the angels, there's a whole series of sermons I think that one could do on the role of angels in this whole uh, Christmas story. So. Having said that, what do I want us to do? How do I want us to help define and accomplish this moment to, to deeply see these characters? Um, I, I recently uh, listened to an a, a, a interview with uh, uh, David Brooks, which is interesting on his, about his new book, How to Know a Person, and I thought, this is really what I want us to, to, to employ, to use as a tool that we want to use Uh, to look deeply at this story. He simply said in an interview, there's one skill that lies in the heart of any healthy person, family, school, community, organization, or society, the ability to see someone else deeply and to make them feel uh, seen, to accurately know another person, to let them feel valued, heard, and understood. Now, he goes on to, to talk about in this interview uh, and illustrate this by referencing uh, a series uh, called The Chosen. Do you remember that? Uh, it's uh, stories about Christ and, and uh, the disciples. But he, he was uh, in, uh, indeed impressed by the role that the character of Jesus played. And I think it defines this moment for us. because. He talked about you know in the midst of the crisis uh, that Christ was born into this world, in the midst of all the the uh, the the, the Roman uh, oppression of all the things that were taking place around them, he was able to in in all the the difficulties of seeing people, he chose he chooses both his enemies, Christ, and 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 uh, those in desperate need and his would be disciples to see them beyond what they're talking about, such as, uh, I, I immediately thought of Zacchaeus, or the woman at the well, or um, um, Nicodemus, all of whom in which Christ, in, in this, his story, the narrative, if you've, I'm sure that you've read it, many of you, but, but he looks beyond the situation, like the woman at the well, and he says, look, it really is not a matter about where we worship, that you want to argue about, meeting you haphazardly. The real issue is your heart and the fact that you're dissatisfied and the fact that you've lived with with several men and you're you're still not at peace in your heart and your soul. Christ is able to do that. So I want us uh, in this narrative and in this story to look deeply, to look deeply at the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Joseph and Mary and to know them, to try to know them and to understand them because in understanding them we understand ourselves, we understand the questions that really are being asked perhaps uh, uh, that would lead us, our own desires, our own longings to be fulfilled through being responsive, through being loving uh, uh, and um, um, as they are to us. Let's hear the story and see if it, this makes sense. I, I know I'm kind of struggling here, so you have to, you know, I'm used to preaching in African-American churches, so uh, you have to, to shout out or, you know, fix it. Fix it means that, you know, you're not doing well, you need to step it up. Or, uh, uh, you know, just a words of encouragement. So you can just say amen anytime you want. But uh, uh, I don't know if it'll help, but we'll try. <laughs> let's, let's consider, though, and, and I, did, I, 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 um, I want you to look at God the Father, first of all, and, and this whole story fascinates me. You have your Bibles open, right? B- because uh, this, each of these segments, each of these personalities are, are really the, one of the key words that, that appears is origins or new beginnings. And uh, we find, and I think Matthew rehearsed this uh, a few weeks ago, about in chapter uh, 1, verse 1, you, you find the word origins or birth. Birth is not really the, the best word in, in either of the texts, but in one you have origins, in uh, one eighteen, as he talks about, let's talk about the, the beginnings of Christ. It's a new beginning, and what we see is, is the parallel. That he, that they paint for us, as they not only do the genealogy, but as you look back at Genesis one one, it says, "In the beginning, it was God that began to create." Amen. Amen? So, <laughs> and here's the here's the here's the great the great thing that we need to wrap our heads around if if we're going to uh, continue in this this kind of intimate um, relationship with the Holy Spirit at this moment. That we understand that the Ruach, that the Spirit of God breathes life into this new beginning. The Father is there creating, organizing. And why does he do all this? Why do we get all these details? Is it really to to simply to have a justification of who created what? His purpose was in order that he might have fellowship. That he might have an intimate relationship With human beings, about with human beings that have been given a choice to love them or not love Him and who often fail to love Him. The the whole of the Old Testament as we rehearse it is about what? It's about God reaching out to human beings, His created, the ones that He loves, the ones that He goes about uh, trying to redeem to buy back. And, and, to, uh, and to bring into his loving arms. The question is, that arises uh, from considering a God like this, is, what do you consider your origins? Do you believe that a God created you? Can, can, is it within the, 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 your ability to comprehend and appreciate a God who created you? And if He did, He created you for a purpose, has a plan for your life. And for me, in, in the darkness of night, in the difficulties of life, it's, it's uh, good to know that somebody's got a plan and that somebody does care about me, and that somebody does love me, and somebody is not just somebody, it's the very one who created me and loved me. I I love not only, and of course it is somewhat in sequence as we go down through uh, this story of 18 through 25, but you find also just an allusion to Mary. Mary really is, uh, the, Matthew and Luke, have two separate agendas. Uh, Luke is, is trying to tell more of the story. Uh, Matthew is really, as, as we've, we've heard, uh, reaching to, to Jewish people, looking for that connection in Jewish heritage, focuses mainly on that. But I want you to see this young girl. Again, why, I'm not sure we need to rehearse, all the, the, the back story. We know, you've heard, about the engagements uh, and, and how in Judaism um, they were legally bound uh, during that one year, uh, typically, of engagement. Um, so we don't need to, to invest much time there. We also know uh, will rehearse because it is important to the story that... Um, Mary, this young teenager, um, was um, was a, uh, 13 years old. <laughs> and God comes to her and says, you're the one that's going to bear a child for me. It's interesting because it's hard to wrap your, your head uh, around this. And particularly the, the ideal of in, in where Matthew's going here, is, is uh, the ideal of the of virgin birth. I think it's no longer a leap of faith for us or uh, understanding to, to appreciate artificial insemination. <laughs> Most of you medical doctors here know about the process. It's a very likely possible thing to happen. The miracle is, again, back to incarnation, isn't it? The fact that it was the Holy Spirit that planted the seed within the egg of Mary, and that in the midst of this, both God and man met and embodied in human form. Wow. Well, as we think about that, I I want you to... And rehearse some of the things that that Tyler and, and Pastor Matthew has already helped us with, and to bring into balance the extremes of uh, now understanding this this young woman um, and who she was, and uh, there's this the extremes of um, beautification in, in these verses and. and and there are others that, as as Baptists and as as uh, evangelicals, we often spend a great deal of time discarding or or uh, debunking uh, uh, Mary and and making her um, uh, be- below, be- beyond average as, as a mother. I, I like what uh, there's a term that I've adapted for this that from Frederick uh, Burchner. And he, he says that Mary, and I say, Mary deserves, and he says, a just and loving attention. As we talk about the the convergence of God and man of in this this child this girl's womb, I think we indeed must acknowledge that that she does deserve a just and loving, our just and loving attention. Her nobility, I think, is derived not so much for, for the birth itself, which is profound, I think, and, and, uh, and obviously a miracle. But to me, as I look deeply into the struggles for the struggles of who she was and, and, and why God would ask her to do such a thing, I see beyond having grappled with that, her obedience, and then her willing to be a mother. And to love and to nurture not only an infant child, but a teenager and a young adult, to be the mother till he died on the cross of God, our Lord, and our Savior. But Mary shares in this process, the struggle that you and I often have. You know, uh, again, I want to preach Luke, but we can't. (laughs) You you look back at 114 and the angel explains this thing to her and he says, what? You want me to be the the mother of God. Now, it's hard for me to wrap around. I have not only two daughters, but I have three granddaughters and one that's 14. And I can imagine her coming to me and saying oh by the way I'm pregnant (laughs) and God did it you know and uh, that would be tough. You know I say that not just to be humorous but to say to be human that that we sometimes so glorify these these passes of scriptures that we distance ourselves from the fact that this was a young girl struggling with what it means to be the mother of God and the daunting responsibility of having to nurture and strengthen and care for that child until God the Father takes him to be his in, in active duty in full-time ministry the, the whole time. The key to this whole struggle is one thing, it is a common thread that applies to, to both Joseph and Mary, and if you go back to Zechariah and to Elizabeth and to others in these stories. It again comes to us from Scripture, Luke 1.38, He says, she, she turns to the angel and she says, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now I want you to, uh, if you are considering becoming a Christian, I want you to know that you don't have to have your act together, that you don't have to have all the theological principles and details, even of this event or moment in, in perfect uh, uh, just a position to, to, give, give, uh, to provide you salvation, but it is a struggle. It is one that ultimately you come to the point of saying, uh, having weighed, weighed in the balances what this is all about, uh, you have to say like Mary and like Joseph, look, I believe that I need something. I believe that and, and believe the Holy Spirit is, is convicting me of it and I'm going to, I'm going to follow you wherever you take me. Well, let's, let's be quick because I, I, I don't want to lose you. I want us to consider Joseph for just a moment and, and reflect on him. For when uh, Joseph discovered Mary was uh, pregnant, he reacted in the framework of the religion in which, the Jewish religion, uh, his teachings, his culture. And I think that they were very uh, emotionally and spiritually uh, bound by this uh, in in engagement period I think that he loved her and retribution wasn't an option uh, for 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 Mary in his heart and his mind he was wrestling with this before the angel came to reveal what he was his intent and I want you to see it wasn't uh, you know an easy decision. basically he was trying to, according to Deuteronomy twenty four one to uh, put her away privately, uh, divorce her privately so that uh, that she would not um, be embarrassed. she would be embarrassed, but humiliated. But what the important thing I think of the rehearsal of that story is the the sight, the insight, and to the character of Joseph. Joseph was just going to be the stepdad, but he was, he was in and committed even um, with, with Mary. He was a man that was just wanting to do the right thing, live a right life. He was a righteous person, but he was also merciful and he was always also loving. He was also submissive. To the um, to the Lord, and uh, to the Lord God. So, what does he do? Obedience, right? He says in these final. He 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 doesn't say it. He gets up and does it. He says, "All right, I'm I'm going to take Mary to be my wife. I'm going to keep her. Bring her into my home. And we're going to face the community and the world around us." and all the questions that arise as a result of that. What a wonderful t- a preaching te- or a testimony, isn't it, to the community. Oh, it's God that is active in the world and the Messiah is coming and He's coming through her <laughs> and through the baby that's in her and we're sharing this, this road together. But they, they struggle together. They, uh, he, he too becomes the parent that molds and shapes the carpenter's son who saves the world. Obedience was the key wasn't it as as I said before as with uh, Zechariah and with Mary There's one other aspect of this That I want you to to see that in the midst of this whole struggle that Joseph has. What happens? As with Mary, the angel comes, gives instruction, and of course, with Mary, Elizabeth, uh, the, the uh, older cousin that is, is uh, uh, pregnant, uh, also by an act of God, uh, affirms, encourages her, strengthens her in this journey. All of them say yes and are obedient, but the important thing is that the God that was a God of origins, the God that, that started in, in 1-1 and verse 18, is the same God that guides them, that in his hand, is, his uh, hand uh, reaches out to them, helps them to understand, and leads them to the kingdom. Jeremiah put it this way, you will seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all of your heart. A part of this whole process of the redemption process of, of uh, the roles that they play, the, success, the reasons for success, always comes when we are responsive to the work of the Holy Spirit in, in our lives. Well, let me, let me go quickly to Jesus. Because in, uh, w- while we, we could look at the... The um, the whole of the New Testament. We've covered the Old Testament through Tyler and and Matthew. I, I want to I want to rehearse for you what what Matthew has not done for us. Um, Matthew does not attempt to explain Jesus Christ how Jesus uh, to explain how Jesus Christ could be both man and God. He simply doesn't do it. But what he does do is that he affirms it. And um, he simply says that uh, of him, of Christ, in verse 16, that he was born of Mary. And in verse 20, he says, and he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. That should be enough, shouldn't it? But um, uh, it's hard, again, for for us to um, wrap our heads around it. We explain it in many different ways as we ask these questions. You know, the 2nd the century had uh, 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 Christians and, and uh, those who, who studied Scripture, uh, they, they came up with a, uh, a, a doctrine uh, that was called uh, Daucesanism. And I didn't pronounce that correctly, did I, guys? But anyway, um... It was a sectarian doctrine, and that Christ did not uh, really actually become real, that he, he, that he didn't really have a natural body on earth, and that uh, apparently was a, some type of a, f- a phantom. The doctrine reached its zenith uh, in the next generation with agnostics, um, and uh, some forms of it, I think, are even evident in our society and our, our lives today. But the, the idea was that it even denies the, the fact that Christ died. So it was easier to say, all right, he's all God. Um, most of us would, would fall into perhaps the opposite extreme in our society today. I think in our skeptical world, um, we have detractors about Christ and, and uh, it's not there, his uh, humanity, but his divinity. Uh, most of us can wrap our minds and hearts around uh, the good and the wise and the religious man or a prophet that, that struggled with his, uh, and, and yet we struggle with his deity. Of It's not being like God, but it's being God himself that, that we struggle with and that we have a, a difficult time with. There's a quote I, I want to share with you, Helmut Thickel, that simply said, Certainly there are great and profound uh, teachings in the world, but one must have the capacity to understand them and uh, one must, uh, in a situation uh, which uh, affords the reason adequate for breathing space so you can begin to process it, the greatness of the gospel the greatness of the gospel that we have presented to us today is in the fact that it is available to all, not uh, only to the spiritual mature or great, such as Kant, uh, but also to the weak. Uh, Pascal was a, the sublimest intellectual of the world, thought uh, can find, but um, so can a little girl who prays at night before she goes to bed. Christ dealt with this in his own day. In Matthew 16, you, you, you remember the story of his followers and his asking the question. You see, it's uh, so is he all God or is he all man? What's going on in your mind? So what? What if he's God and man or, or uh, whatever? The, the, the question I think that comes to us is the one that Christ asked his disciples. As they were traveling about, as it became popular, Uh, he turns to the the, the disciples and he says um, whom he simply asks the the question whom do you say? whom do they say that I am? Who who are the people that are following me around? What are they they saying about me? What do they believe? And he goes off uh, uh, and uh, they respond by saying well some of you uh, believe that you're John the Baptist um, some others, Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, and, uh, and some of the prophets. So uh, what he's in essence saying is what many people believe today. Well, uh, in e- even is- Islam, right? That, that Christ was a good man. That, that he did a, a lot of wonderful things. That his teachings were good. We can embrace that. We can wrap our heads around that. But uh, uh, that's really not where he wants us to go. Nor uh, does he just simply want us to think of him as the God that never got here, that never died, that was all phantom, all all fake, and therefore there's no pain or suffering. There was no death associated with that. Nor does he want us to think of him as simply a good man. It's all or nothing. So he turns to his disciples after this discourse, and he he says, "But who do you say that I am?" You see, the most pressing question of this whole sermon this morning for all of you who are listening. It doesn't matter what everyone else says. The theologians, those that argue and debate, the, the nuances of this scripture. The question, as God comes to dwell with us and in your midst this morning, is who do you say that I am? We have an answer for you. <laughs> At least Peter had a good answer that was acceptable. to uh, to to Jesus and he says you're the Messiah the Son of God but even that is important but even more important is what the father says back to the disciple he simply says this Simon son of Jonah you're blessed You are blessed. Because you get this story. You get the story of the nativity scene. You get the story of of what it means for God to come and to dwell in our midst, to love us, to care for us, to be with us, and to provide uh, for us a way of salvation. Simon, you get it. You're blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal it to you, but my Father in heaven. Now, I wish I were eloquent enough and profound enough to convince you mentally and emotionally of the fact that God is Jesus, and that Jesus in his human form came and bled and died in order that he might provide for you the salvation that you cannot earn, that you cannot accomplish in and of and, uh, and on your own. But I find at least comfort in knowing that in my inadequacies the power of the Holy Spirit that overshadowed the world as it was created, that overshadowed Mary and created God-man with us, the one that now overshadows us and offers you the opportunity to come and to embrace this Messiah, the Savior. The other participant, I hope, in this whole narrative is you. For he, he did say in verse 21, my purpose for being here is you, to provide salvation for you. Second Corinthians, uh, fifth, uh, the fifth chapter, 17th verse says, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, he's a new beginning, he or she is, has a new origin and the old has passed away and the new new has come. As Joseph and Mary and even Jesus find their beginnings in God the Father and the Holy Spirit, so through our own response to the overshadowing Holy Spirit, we reframe our mundane, empty lives and we create, and he creates something that is holy and sacred and set apart for eternity. Can I compare notes for a moment? The one last step, and uh, perhaps I've I've, uh, taken too long to get here, but I want you to think with me of the new beginning that Christ offers you. It's interesting that he he moves from this origin story, now, and you find in the third chapter of John, another origin story. As Christ expands, And and here's what Christ does always. He takes us beyond the boundaries of our own thought, our own ability to comprehend, and and he takes us one step further. So here's a guy, in chapter three, uh, that uh, Nicodemus, that is a a great student, and yet he comes with questions, and and Christ provides the answer. Let me just read it to you, quickly. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Do you hear that? All right, you're a human being, you're a great man, you're another prophet, (laughs) you're all those good things, but Christ is saying, no, I'm more. Every, every phase throughout this, this story, Jesus answers him, Truly, truly, I say to you, that unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He moves the story. He, he reframes your questions, and he drives it home. You really are, are not so concerned about—Christ uh, is always concerned about you. He's, al- he's always concerned about getting to the heart of the matter of the fact that what I want, God wants from you, is his lo- is your love for him. And he wants to love you, and he wants to give his life to you. And that's, that's why he asked these probing questions. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter the second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you that unless you're born of water and born of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, another question that that comes with their service, well, how can I be born again? How can I have this new creation? Jesus answers him and he says, uh, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand the things, these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of that which we know and we bear witness to, to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things, how will you believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven except uh, he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. You see how that comes together, how he's telling us the story of the nativity here? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. God's purpose statement for you. For God so loved the world, you want to say it with me, (laughs) that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's interesting that this word born again, again, it has two, in the Greek languages, has two choices. One is palin, which means a repetition of an act to redo what was done earlier. Do you want to redo your life? Do you you want to redo and rehearse the same things that led you to this moment? The old habits, the things that have, have caused such failure. Well, the second of the Greek terms, the one used here, is anothen. And it says which is also depicts a repeated action, the same, a repeated action. But listen to this. But it requires the original source to repeat it. It means from above, from a higher place, things that come from the heaven of God. God created the heavens and the earth. God created you, and He recreates you in His Holy Spirit and His holy, eternal being. Can't you say praise God for that? This is the divine moment. This is the purpose. It's not just rehearsing this morning the fact that some baby was born in Bethlehem. It's about the fact that God Himself stepped into our lives, stepped into our world, and provided an opportunity for us to be born again. That he, the author, the creator of this world has taken his hand, has taken every measure in order to give you life. It's awesome. Well, preachers who don't preach a long time often preach too much. <laughs> let me just let me conclude with a, a quote I've, I found. By, uh, it was interesting. It kind of connects the... the uh, Christmas mood with the teaching that we have. Jorgen uh, Moulton said this, the ultimate reason for our hope is not to be found in all that we want or wish for and wait for. The ultimate reason that we are wanted and wished for And wanted for. What is it that awaits us? Does anything wait for us at all or are we alone? Whenever we have our hope on trust in the divine mystery, we feel deep down in our hearts that there is someone who is wanting you. Do you feel wanted this morning? There's someone who's hoping for you. There is someone who believes in you. God is our last hope because we're God's first hope, first love. God so loved the world. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that if you will believe in him, He will give you a new creation. Father, help us to embrace this truth. Help us to love you. Help us to respond to you in this intimate moment of transaction between your Holy Spirit and us. For it's in Christ's name I pray.